0: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Hey there, ho there, how do you do? Mm. Howdy, y'all. I was doing more of like a princess diaries. Mm. I did Hey gosh, there, right. ho there, how do you do? This is Grove High saying hi to you. That's what they say? I think so. That's a lot of like using just the same words to rhyme. Yeah, they're like, what rhymes with You. You exactly oh my god we could just say you again yes yeah (laughs) it's like there's a golden girls episode where rose is talking about how she wrote the lyrics to their high school fight song or whatever and it's like go 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 and that's like the entire song (laughs) it's like a tenacious d they're like it's just one one note one note and he's like you bend it a little (laughs) yeah but who but who wrote it with the bendy thing? I did that. Because, <laughs> like, anybody could write that. Oh, these fucking naysayers <laughs> always naysaying. <laughs> exactly. I did the bendy thing. Yep. Okay. Well, now that that's taken care of, thanks for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, it's Killer Queens, and we are the true crime podcast for people who like 90s stuffs. Mm hmm hmm Exactly. Because we're going to throw them in there. Or obscure movie quote. I mean, I don't, we don't know where today is going to take us. No. I do already have an idea of talking about something from the movie Together on MTV. So <laughs> get ready for that if you've ever seen it. Oh, it's so good. And if you haven't seen it, oh don't God, try to find it to buy it because it's very expensive. But do try to find a way to watch it. hmm But you didn't hear that from us. No. We're not telling you to do anything like that. Not illegal or anything. Like, don't do... Yeah. No, 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 no. But yeah, so today we're covering two cases of two missing men, both unsolved, basically Tori's nightmare come to fruition. Yes, I just, you know, I don't think that it's a secret unless this is your first time ever listening to us. And if that's the case, hey, hey, and also here's a bunch of negativity. I'm going to spew at you. I don't like, I don't like... (laughs) Unsolved cases because I need closure. I need like everything to be wrapped up in a little bow and be like, here's the situation. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, where did he go? Wait, which way did he go? Which way did he go? Yeah, Yeah. I want to know. Well, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) Um, Well, thanks. (laughs) Thanks thanks for for shooting shooting it too Yeah, I feel like we just need to get that out there. Just before we get into the case, though, we do want to let you know about the Patreon. Yeah. If you've been here a while, if you're brand new here, we'll tell you about it either way. So we have all of our episodes also on the Patreon feed, ad-free, so that's a big one. Yes, and let's get this straight here right now. All of our beginning episodes, like one through, is it 42? 44, I believe. 44. Mm -hmm. They're all on Patreon too. Yep, that's where you can find them. Yes. Because if we're I feel being like we honest. Leave that out a lot. Yeah, we do. We didn't know what we were doing then, you know? Mm-mm. I mean, we tried. Well, and you know what? There's a strong argument for some people to say that we still don't know what we're doing, but Well, sure. Every day we and every didn't know way, we were, doing then. we're getting better and better. <laughs> yeah. So those are there. And of course you got bonus episodes. We do murder mixtape. Every Wednesday we cover just a whole other case. Yes. And then so it's just an extra full episode. And then Fridays doc we do doc jams. jams. And that's episode-by-episode coverage of a docu-series of your choosing. So Mm -hmm. the Patreon members, they vote on what we're going to cover, and you can very easily become a part of that conversation. And then whatever we choose or whatever you guys choose, we cover it case-by-case or episode-by-episode, excuse me. So you don't have to watch it if you choose not to. You could watch along with us. Mm -hmm. That's an option too. Whatever you want to do, you do you. Yeah, you get to create your own Patreon experience. and It's then, like those goosebumps, choose your own adventures. Oh my God, it totally is. Yeah. And then we've also started doing weekly Facebook lives. So we've got a free Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the Patreon, ain't no thing. Head over to Facebook. It's Killer Queen's podcast discussion group. Mm-hmm. But we do also have a separate group for patrons, $10 and up. And in that group, I mean, it's just a more, you know, intimate like experience, we get to hang out more. We get to, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of do some direct conversation a little bit more. So definitely check out those groups. You do have to be a paying member to get access to the other group, but the free group, anybody can join. You want to talk about cases, you want to talk about 90s stuff, you want to talk about whatever, like come hang with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But basically in a nutshell, to sum up, you look young Mm-hmm. We're having fun, but there are multiple ways to be in the conversation, to be a part of the community, to get a bunch more content mm-hmm. if you so choose. So, totes, choose your own adventure. Exactly. Okay, so we're covering Brian Schaefer and Bryce lesbiza These were both really heavily requested. I didn't realize that. So Brian Schaefer was requested by Chelsea McGravy, Ray, Anna Wadsworth, Ashley Smith, and Autumn Hunt. And Bryce Laspiza was requested by Erica Canop, Joni Portwood, Christine Pledger, Sarah Ann Shake, Mm -hmm. and Verisa Cruz. So hey girl, thanks to y'all. Yes. And we do have a few trigger warnings. So there's going to be discussion of suicide, alcohol and drug abuse, and mental illness. So if any of that is triggering for you or it's not your jam, that's totally fine. We'll just catch you on the next episode. Exactly. And a big, hey girl, thanks to Sloan for writing this one up for us. You know what? I'm not in a place where I can thank her just yet because she knows how I feel about unsolved cases. I know it's not her fault, but I'm blaming her. She woke up today and she chose violence. That's her, jam. Exactly. That's her journey. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> the way that she set this one up and I do, I like it. It's, it's different because we are covering two. So it's not just like we're going to go through one case completely and then the next case. Mm-hmm. We're going to do kind of like the circumstances that each person disappeared under and the facts of the case and then after that we go into the theories because with both of them there's going to be similar not exact same theories but just different ideas of like was this on purpose was there foul play so for each of those we'll kind of go into each of them and what you know could be or couldn't be kind of thing yeah sounds good kind of cool yeah all right so let's get started all right, so we're going to start with Bryce Lespiza. Bryce Lespiza was born on April 30th, 1994, and he's the only child of Mike and Karen Lespiza. While he grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and graduated from Naperville Central High School in 2012, Bryson's parents decided that once retirement came, it was time to move to warmer weather. I feel like they retired early. Sounds like it. Because he's 19 when he disappears. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, and they look, they would have to, unless they are much older than they appear. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Cause I'm like, they don't look in their 70s by any means. So, and retirement age is 65. Yeah, typically. I mean, they lived in California. It seemed like they were doing pretty well on money. So I think they, whatever they did for work, served them well. Yeah. So they end up moving the family to Laguna Niguel, California. Bryce was reported to have always been a good student and athlete. He played football and baseball in high school. And now that he was a high school graduate, he decided he was going to take classes at Sierra College in Rockland, California. There are some differing reports on whether or not this is what Bryce wanted to do or if this is what Bryce was told to do. And we'll get into that a little bit later. In the days leading up to Bryce's disappearance, he had started acting strangely so strangely that his roommate and good friend Sean Dixon had called Bryce's mom, Karen, to voice his concerns. I feel like that's very significant Mm -hmm. because if you're talking about college kids that live together, that hang out together, you're drinking together, you're doing stupid shit together, you are not going to call your friend's mom unless it's bad, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just, it seems like the behavior was... Very, very strange. Yeah, so alarming that he needed to reach out and possibly put himself in an uncomfortable position to be like, "Hey, here's what's going on here. Something that you don't really want to talk to a parent about. Yeah, because you don't want to. You don't want to get your friend in trouble. You don't want to. get You don't want to make trouble. a big deal out of nothing. Yeah, you don't want to get yourself in trouble. It's like a lot of stuff you don't want to piss your friend off if. You know, you don't want it to be like, well, I thought something was going on, but I was wrong, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It just, it seems like a big deal. Yeah. Create some discord where there may be exactly, wouldn't have to be. Yeah. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Both Sean and Bryce's girlfriend, Kim Sly, had seen a shift in his personality. They said that Bryce was now drinking heavily, saying that he, quote, downed a bottle of hard liquor every weekend. That honestly doesn't sound that big of a deal to me. I guess it depends well, on how big the bottle yeah, is. Yeah, are we talking a handle? Or are we talking... Right. Yeah. In the... I watched an episode of Disappeared on this as one of the things, and in the reenactment, they were showing more like a fifth bottle. There was definitely no handle on it. I don't mean to be <laughs> a whatever you want to call me in this moment. I don't know. That's not that alarming. For a college kid... I mean, I definitely, I couldn't down that much by myself, but when I was this age, I was drinking both nights on the weekend. You know, it was just, we'd Mm -hmm. party Friday night, pass out, wake up, do it all over again, go to work, sleep it off, whatever. Yeah. And then do it all over again, Saturday night. Yeah. So drinking that much on a weekend That doesn't sound concerning to me necessarily. If it's every night, I think that that's pretty, yeah, that's alarming. Like I think that, you know, nobody, your poor liver, you should not be putting it through that much. Yeah. But a fifth, if you're mixing alcohol, like if you're mixing drinks, Mm -hmm. it can go pretty quick. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I mean, you're talking about college kids, so exactly. you're having people over, you know, it's They can run on 20 minutes of sleep Mm -hmm. and be completely fine and be hammered drunk and then wake up probably still drunk Mm -hmm. and keep going. I mean, I've done it. Hell, I know I've done it. I mean, you know, you start out with a chaser and then that chaser somehow magically turns into more alcohol. So you're (sighs) chasing alcohol with more alcohol. I mean, God, who hadn't been there? I know, and then you show up to work the next day still wearing the same shit you were the day before, and you're like, With your Look. lipstick all smudged and stuff, yeah. yes. <laughs> like, I'm here, bitch. That, don't ask me anything else. Like. And people are like, what smells like a dumpster? <laughs> yeah, did you go to a bonfire yesterday? Mind your business, Susan. Yeah, exactly. I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> but Kim was also concerned about Bryce's drug habits. It was reported that he had started taking the prescription ADHD medication, Vyvanse, So he could stay up all night and play video games with his roommate and probably others online. Again, I say, as a parent, do I want my kid doing it? Nope. And did I go to college? No. Did everybody (laughs) that my husband went to college with do that shit? Yes. Every single one of them. I think that you would be hard pressed to find this demographic without these sets of quote unquote problems or concerning behaviors. Yeah. Or habits. It's like, you're not going to go to a college campus right now and not find several kids who have a prescription for Vyvanse and then all the other kids that they're friends with that also take it, mm-hmm. you know, because they're studying for a test or or because it's fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it smart? No. Do they do it anyway? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it happens. Yeah. I just, I don't find that as like, oh my God, this is not heroin. Again, you shouldn't be taking it if you're not supposed to be taking it. but. I just feel like it's a very normal behavior for college kids. Right. Is it right no? Is it uncommon? No. Exactly. So, the first day of his sophomore year was August 26, 2013. Kim thought Bryce was acting erratically. Bryce's behavior got more concerning when he started giving away his possessions. So, he had some diamond rings that he diamond earrings that he had from his mom. And she said in the Disappeared episode that they were her diamond earrings that she had given to him. Why did she give them to him? Like, I've seen pictures of him wearing, like, diamond studs, you know? Oh, they're studs. See, that's, that's the thing that I needed to know. Yeah, so I guess it was almost like a family heirloom kind of thing. And he wore them too. His mom said they were very important to him, and he never would have given that away. hmm Yet he did. hmm So there's that. But he gave that stuff away. So he gives, I think he gives the Xbox to his roommate maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure who he gives the... Earrings to. Earrings to. But I mean, what does that tell you immediately? When you hear he's giving his stuff away, Mm -hmm. that says, I'm not planning on needing these. And that's either because of a possible suicide or a possible disappearing myself. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I can understand the earrings for sure from the mom's point of view, but an Xbox to a teenage boy, exactly. That's a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, sorry, mom. I know the earrings were important to you and you thought he was going to keep them forever. But if he gets rid of his Xbox, you got some problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so then on August 28th, here's another thing that I feel like is concerning about this whole thing. This is over the course of days. This isn't just like he took, he tried Vivance for the first time and started acting crazy that night. And then when he slept, you know, he would have, it wasn't just like one day. This is over the course of days. But around 10 p.m. on August 28th, he breaks up with Kim via text message saying that she would, quote, be better off without him. And he even says like, you deserve better or something like that. So he breaks up with her, but then even though that happens, he ends up driving to her house that night. So it's 10 o'clock that he texts her. Then he drives 90 miles away to her apartment. So he gets there at like 1130, something like that, or he's there at 1130. That's crazy. While he's there though, Kim is like, he's not acting right. And she didn't think it was safe for him to be driving. So she took his keys away. So then Bryce calls his mom and is like, Kim won't give me my keys back. She's upset that I broke up with her. And Karen talks to Kim and Kim says, no, like, there's something not right here. He's not acting right. I don't think he should be driving. I think he may have been drinking. I think he may be on medication. Like, I don't think that he should be driving. It doesn't feel safe to me. So Karen talks to Bryce and she's like, he sounded lucid. He sounded okay. She asked him if he wanted to come, if he wanted her to fly up there to go meet him. And he's like, no, 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 don't do that. It's not that big of a deal, whatever. He's like, I'm fine. I do need to talk to you about something. But, you know, I'll tell you when I talk to you next, basically. And he's like, I don't need you to come up here. I'm fine. And she's like, Kim, give him his keys back. I have questions about that. Mm. Don't you think that if somebody called you, like, say it was me. Mm -hmm. Somebody called you and said, has not been acting right for a few days, you know? Something's going on with her. She doesn't seem in her right mind. Whatever all these behaviors are, saying that I'm acting erratically, blah, blah, blah. Then I drive somewhere 90 minutes away from my house. That person says, this is very strange behavior. I don't think it's safe for her to be driving a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And you, it's not just Kim saying this, right? It's Sean saying it too, and she already knew about this. Right. And then you're just like, well she's fine yeah I'm just like well I mean we're just gonna have to let Jesus take the wheel on this we'll just see how it goes no I'm going to get your ass exactly it's like make sure she stays there thank you for taking her keys I will be there to pick her up like Mm -hmm. it just seems really weird that you would just be like okay we'll get back behind the wheel of a car then Mm -hmm. that's not where that ends you know like it gets even crazier right exactly there's more to the story Okay, so what happens after he leaves Kim's house? So he leaves her house around 1130, same night, or 28th. Everyone thought that he was going to go back to his apartment because he tells his parents, or tells his mom, he's going back to his apartment. That's what's going to happen. But when he leaves Kim's house, he texted Sean, I love you, bro, seriously. You're the best person I've ever met, and you saved my soul. That's worrisome. Definitely, because that sounds like a goodbye. Yes, very much so. He hopped on the I five as if he was heading towards Laguna Niguel in his parents' house. And this is an hour and a half after leaving his girlfriend's house. And that's another thing. Like he he's spending a lot of time getting to where he's going. Yes. So then around 1 a.m. on the 29th, Karen missed a call from Bryce that was later found to have pinged about an hour from his apartment. Karen had thought that he was just like calling her to tell him, tell her that he was back at his apartment. And they wouldn't hear from Bryce again until after 11 a.m. And this is 10 hours after the missed call and almost 12 hours after leaving Kim's house. Yeah. So now we're like three to four times the amount of time he it should have taken him to get somewhere. Absolutely. At about 11 a.m. or 12, Bryce called his parents and told them that he had used their roadside assistance plan about around 9 a.m. because he had run out of gas. A guy named Christian from Castro Tire and Gas delivered three gallons of gas and Bryce charged his parents' credit card for $20 for the gas. Bryce was in Buttonwillow, California at this point. And if he had continued on the path to his parents' house, he would have arrived, like you said, three, three and a half hours later. But that ETA comes and goes and he didn't show up. And at this point, he's not answering his cell phone. So Karen decides that she's going to call Christian who delivered the gas and see if maybe he could just drive to where he had taken the gas and see if Bryce was gone. Christian was like, yeah, I'll do that. No big deal. So he drives there. And Bryce is still in the same exact spot. Like, has not moved. He's still in the driver's seat. He's just sitting there away, Just sitting there. Just sitting there. there. Just sitting there. So Christian asked Bryce, like, what you doing, buddy? And Bryce is like, nothing. And Christian's like, okay, well, he seems fine. Like, his eyes are a little red, but otherwise, he seems fine. And, but he's just sitting there. right? I mean, of course, like we're not coming for Christian because what can he do? He doesn't even know this man. Oh, right. Yeah. Christian is an amazing human being, by the way. He's like a hero. Right. To drive all that way to go. Yes. So again, Bryce should have been home in about three hours. It doesn't matter if he's just sitting there. Whatever time he ends up leaving, he should be there in three hours. But this is six hours later. Still not home. So Karen calls the police and she reports him missing. This is 18 hours after leaving Kim. And we also have to think about, is he awake this whole time? Nobody who contacts him finds him sleeping. Mm -hmm. We don't have any reports of anybody being like, there's a guy asleep in a parking lot. So he's just sitting there, Mm -hmm. just staring into space, apparently, for 18 hours. 18 hours, yeah. So the California Highway Patrol found him Eight miles from where Christian had left him. So he moved eight miles in nine hours. Nine hours. And he's like on the side of the road, right? Right. I could understand that taking that much time to move eight miles. If you asked me to run them, it would take me nine hours. Sure. Not going to get there in any quicker than that. But in a car, that's insane. So yeah, it's like literally he gets on the car or he gets on the road and he starts driving and he's like, nope. And he just <laughs> pulls over like... Yep. Yeah, exactly. The highway patrol officers spent 20 minutes talking to Bryce and they searched his car. But so he's got the same kind of erratic behavior. The officers are like, we really need to search your car for drugs and alcohol. But they didn't find anything. Bryce passed a field sobriety test and the officers said that he seemed to be acting normally other than just sitting in his car for hours on end. The officers noted that Bryce was reluctant to call his mom when the officers told him to. And he was so reluctant that the officers physically dialed the number and put the phone in Bryce's hand to talk to her. And he told her that he was on his way now, but it was also reported that he strangely told her that he was going to go hang out with some friends later. Here's another point. When the police officer finds him and we're now nine more hours in and he moved eight miles As a parent, I would say, I need you to take him to the station and I will be there to pick him up immediately. Absolutely. Because clearly the plan that we had been under on is not going to be working at this point. We're a day in to trying to get him to move three hours. Well, yeah. And you're also like, has he slept at all? Right. You know, that's a concern. Like, there's something going on here. Well, and just because when the police officers left him versus when they found him, started out saying erratic behavior, then they're like, well, he's acting fine now. If he's showing the same erratic behavior to multiple people in the span of 24 hours, maybe it's time to take it into your own hands and just go pick his ass up. Well, yeah. And even if he can hold it together for a conversation and be like, yeah, everything's okay. You know, what is that woman, Lori Vallow with the, you know, where's JJ and Tylee whole thing? Mm -hmm. she had to go through a psychological evaluation when her husband Charles Vallow was still alive and she passed it. These are professionals and she was able to hold it together, you know, long enough. She didn't Mm -hmm. talk about any of her crazy doomsday shit in front of them, obviously. Right. So that's a possibility. You can, Mm -hmm. you're talking, holding it together for five minutes while Christian's there for 20 minutes while you're with the police officer. Right. Like, well, and there's a big difference between saying the right words and your actions. And he is showing- Exactly. That he's not in a stable mindset. No, he has sat on the side of the road for probably nine hours. Mm-hmm. And he should have been home six hours ago from that point. But we're still well, yeah. 18 something. Like, yeah, he, there's no, something more than wrong. that. Yeah. I feel like at this point, so let's say 18 hours. Okay. It's taken him 18 hours to move- Eight miles, essentially. Mm -hmm. It should take him three, three and a half hours to move 90 miles. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, yeah, there's something something... is wrong. And he's just like, okay, well, I'll just drive home then. And Karen's like, perfect. See you soon. Yeah. I'll just take him for his word. Yeah. We heard that a couple of times, but clearly it's not happening. But maybe today, maybe now is the moment. Exactly. So it's just crazy. They leave him in his car. Officers said that he seemed sober, lucid, and he's a grown-ass man. So they were like, all right, well, good luck to you, and just left him. And around... A, yeah, it's not illegal to sit in your car for nine hours. Mm, I mean, it's not. Right. But, yeah. So their hands I are not understand tied. Well, but... Okay, I don't... I'm not a parent. I just, you know, I want to put all the disclaimers on it now. Like, I'm not... I don't know the whole situation. I don't know what was going through their minds. I do think that... If I had been in that situation, I would have handled things differently. If it was a, fa- a family member or a loved one, I would even if it was a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd be like, "I'm going to take care of this now because mm-hmm. they're doing enough to involve other people, mm-hmm. but they're not doing anything themselves." Which which makes me wonder about like the actual status of their relationship. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Or, you know, because why would you not just get in the fuck? She offered to fly out the day before. Why not get in your car now when he's that close and go pick him up? Yeah, I mean, it's 70 something miles away, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, around 11 p.m., Bryce called Karen again, and told her that he was getting gas and a drink. And this is at a gas station in Buttonwillow. Which, which means is he has now... not fucking moved. Hasn't moved, no. He's... This is now 24 hours after leaving his girlfriend's house. Mhm. He stops, he gets $39 in gas at the Valero gas station. Then after being in Button Willow for most of the day, he calls roadside assistance again from Button Willow. And this time in the ID channel thing they said it was Christian again. And they also the way that Karen said it was that Bryce still hadn't shown up at home. She called Christian again to see if he could go check. Bryce was still in the same damn spot. Mhm. And so he said You need to get on the road. Your parents are waiting for you. Karen says you need to get on the road. So he's like, I'll follow him and make sure he gets on the interstate. And she's like, yeah, if you could do that, that would be great. Mm -hmm. So he follows him and he gets on the interstate behind him for a ways. And then he gets off and says, okay, he's on the way. He's on the road now. So then around 2 a.m. on August 30th, now 27 hours after, Bryce calls his mom again and said he'd gotten off the I-5, but he's back on it again. He's on the way. And then he calls again a few minutes later and he's like, you know what? I'm actually going to pull over and get some sleep. And she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. We think that's great. Because he said he was getting really tired. So she's like, okay, do that. That's safer. I'm just kind of surprised. I mean, why wouldn't he have taken the opportunity when he was just sitting around for nine hours? Right. That could have been a great time to take a nap. Right. Exactly. It's very, it's definitely very strange. And she's like, okay, that's fine. Go ahead. And at this point, he's what, like an hour away from where his parents live or an hour and a half? I don't know. He's been driving a little while. It would just be so easy for them to be like, I'm going to get in the car. You can sleep on the way back to the house. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, pull over. Tell me where you are. Yeah, I'll come get you. You obviously need your rest. I mean, him pulling over and sleeping for an hour or so is not going to do it if he's been awake for the better part of two days at this point hmm So, and we don't know if he did sleep while he was in the car. We just don't have any time when people came up to him that, and it wasn't planned. He didn't know they were coming. He was awake. Mm-hmm. He's just sitting, and he, he never moved from the driver's seat either. He's just sitting there. So, I don't know. And that's the last time Karen and Mike ever heard from Bryce. He did not pull over to sleep. He kept going. He drove to an area called Castaic Lake. His 2003 Toyota Highlander is caught on CCTV footage passing by the same place at 2.15 a.m. And it's this big, like, it's like he makes a circle. He passes it again at 4.29 a.m. So he's driving around in the Castaic Lake area. Yes. Like, why would he do that? He's not making any progress anywhere. No. At 8 a.m. on August 31st. Was this August 31st, 2013? Yeah. that was. The day we got married. That's your wedding. Yeah. The way that he is driving in this Castaic Lake area, it reminds me of the movie, The Blair Witch Project. Like they're walking and walking and walking and walking and they think they're making like progress. And then they just keep passing the same shit that they've been passing because they're in some kind of like weird time space continuum. Yes. Yeah. There's something either he doesn't realize that he's essentially making a loop or he is making the loop on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's very strange either way. Mm-hmm. So at 8 a.m. the next morning, Karen and Mike get a knock at the front door. And they were like, we thought it was Bryce coming home. I'm like, well, the fuck would he knock on the door? Exactly. It's his house. It was the police. It was not Bryce. His Highlander had been found about two hours from Karen and Mike's house. It had been found at about 5.30 a.m. when police were going out to conduct training. The SUV was on its passenger side at the bottom of a 15-foot ravine near Castaic Lake. The rear windshield was busted out and Bryce was nowhere to be found. There was a little bit of blood in the car, but it wasn't a lot and it was not even enough for them to think that he had sustained a significant injury. It was a very small amount on the passenger side in the back seat. Investigator Shannon Tullis said he likely didn't sustain a debilitating injury at the scene given his physical conditioning he absolutely had the ability to leave that scene what did concern everyone though was that Bryce's wallet cell phone id laptop and a duffel bag with clothes in it were still in the car why would he not at least take a cell phone right exactly i mean that is like a, a limb to a lot of people you don't just leave that exactly also concerning was that the tracks left by the suv indicated that Bryce had not tried to brake and was driving at a fairly high speed when he went over that embankment. So we've got a couple options here. Either we know he's been awake for a super, super long time. He had told his mom he was tired and he was going to pull off to sleep, which he for whatever reason did not do. Did he fall asleep at the wheel and just go over that embankment? Mm-hmm. Or did he drive off the edge on purpose? Because if you look in the ID disappeared episode, the detective actually they go out to that area and when you're standing on the edge of it, it looks like if you were to go over that, you'd go straight into the water, into the lake. Mm-hmm. But it's not so. Once you go over, you go down this embankment, and it would take a little bit to get to the lake. So yeah. So was he hoping to hit the water and just didn't realize right that it was that that's not what was just over the other edge? Mm-hmm. They did dredge the lake for forty miles, but they didn't find anything. They did bring in dogs to try to track his scent. They were able to get his scent, and they followed it away from the lake, and it went in the direction of a truck stop nearby, which he could have walked to. Mm -hmm. But the scent trail stopped. They, of course, did not find him. Then on September 4th, the police and family got a shock. There was a jogger running, which is, see why it's so dangerous? Either you're going to find a body or you're going to be a body. Right. They're running near Castaic Lake, and they see a brush fire. So they call 911, and the Los Angeles County Fire Department comes out. This is not a brush fire. This is a human body on fire. And of course, your thought is, Bryce disappeared here. Is this his body? The body was so badly burned, it was impossible to immediately even tell the gender. So they couldn't get an identity right away. You know, so you've got this like double-edged sword. We don't want this to be Bryce. We want him to still be alive. We would also like an answer to where he is, so, you know. Absolutely. But it wasn't Bryce. It ended up being 35-year-old LaMondre Dion Miles, and before he was burned, he'd been shot multiple times in his torso. So it was determined that LaMondre was murdered for failing to pay a debt. And what a weird thing that it would be in the same area, too. Like, definitely out there. Yeah, it's just very strange. Volunteers, dogs, rescue teams, scuba divers, helicopters, hikers, and police searched for about three weeks near the area, and they had absolutely nothing to go on. And even his dad, Mike, his car got broken into while they were searching. Wow. So after the body of Lamandre Miles had been found and identified, the official search for Bryce Lespiza was called off. I mean, they, were, they weren't getting anywhere. They weren't finding anything. And the L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Johnny Jones said, we pretty much exhausted searching in that area. They've found basically nothing, so we're kind of at a standstill. Karen and Mike ended up hiring a private investigator that specializes in missing persons cases. PI Denise Savastrano took on the case pro bono and stated that she feels that Bryce intended to make it to Laguna Niguel as the address was in his GPS in his car. So she was saying, look, he had his parents' address in the GPS. That's where he was headed. He met foul play along the way. Something happened. I don't believe that. Right. But he intended to go home is her belief. I don't believe that. (laughs) I'm not fully convinced of that. Well, I guess we can discuss later. But I think that that's a good... It would be a good way to cover your tracks to make it seem like that's what you were trying to do. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what somebody who is not meaning to go home would say. Like... (laughs) Yeah, mm-hmm. but they've not been able to find anything. They don't really have any clues. They've never, from what I understand, they've not come across anybody at the truck stop that said, yeah, I saw him or anything. And he's got bright red hair. He's a pretty distinctive. Yeah, he's got very like a squared jaw, like bone structure. He, yeah, he's very distinctive. So it would be, I think it would be hard to miss somebody with that bright mm-hmm. of hair. And Karen said it's gut-wrenching every day, not knowing. It's a living nightmare. It's just been difficult because there has been no news. We continue to have hope that Bryce will be found. Mm. So we're going to get into the theories and everything after. Not wrapping up, but you know what I mean. Like, we're going to talk about Brian Schaefer right now, though. So Brian Randall Schaefer was born on February 11th, 1979, to Randy and Renee Schaefer. He would be followed by his little brother, Derek. Brian grew up in Pickering, Ohio and graduated from Pickering High School in 1997 and went off to a Ohio- Pickering 10. Oh, Pickering 10. Sorry. I'm thinking uh, in my mind, I'm going to My Fair Lady, mm. the guy that helps Eliza become a lady. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. His name. But his friend's his name was Pickering. Oh, hmm. yes. So Pickering 10, excuse me, high school in 1997 and went off to Ohio State University. Brian graduated with his bachelor's in microbiology in 2003, and by 2006, he was in a second year of medical school at Ohio State. He was in a serious relationship with his girlfriend, Alexis Wagner, and she also was a second year medical student at OSU, and the two were called, quote unquote, inseparable. Alexis was sure that he was the one, and she told Dateline, like, pretty much since day one, I really thought of him as a kind of, as kind of the love of my life and she said that brian would say she described brian saying he's brilliant he's handsome he's sweet and loyal and caring and there was a post on his myspace page this is dating this case i guess where he called her amazing and awesome the two planned a trip to florida for spring break with their flight booked for april 3rd and Alexis thought that he might propose on that trip. He had not bought a ring, so I don't think so. But I get why she would think. Wishful thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in February of that year, Brian turned 27. But in March, Brian's mom, Renee, died of cancer. She was called Brian's confidant and hero. And she was the center of his universe. And then all of a sudden, she's just gone. Brian and his dad and brother were still reeling from the loss on March 31st. And this is, I mean, it's just 25 days after Renee's funeral when they got together at the Outback Steakhouse for dinner. Brian's friends had wanted to go out drinking early that night, but Brian was adamant that he needed to be there for his dad, so drinking was postponed for after dinner. The men had dinner and conversation, and other than the very painful missing, like, they were super upset about missing their mom and, you know, his wife from the table. Like, nothing was unusual. I mean, of course, I'm sure they're talking about Renee reminiscing, Mm -hmm. commiserating with each other. I mean, it's super sad, but everything seemed fine. And a lot of people said he was handling it in a very healthy way. They thought that like, you know, he was still, I mean, he was in school and he had just finished midterms at this point. He was getting ready to start spring break. So Mm -hmm. even though his mom had passed away in the midst of all that, he still completed all those things. Yes. And he's still on track for his career goal. And I'm sure I've heard people say, in the midst of something like that, some people really thrive on something that can kind of distract them. Exactly, and They're so busy that they need that. But I do know that Brian was really, really, really exhausted that day. Like he had gone to the dinner with his dad and his brother and then went out late that night. But his dad was like, I didn't expect him to go out drinking because he talked about how tired he was. Mm-hmm. But so Brian separated from his dad and his brother and he went out with his former roommate, Clint Florence. So Brian and Clint went to a bar called, and it's, kind of my favorite. The Ugly Tuna Saluna. I know. I love that they said Saluna. Like they really tied it together for me. Yes. Yes. And this is around 9 p.m. Clint said, Brian and I always went out. That's nothing new. We sat down, opened a tab and then, you know, had like three, four, five, 20 shots shots of of liquor. I don't know how many ever. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Well, I mean, after the sixth one, they really start going down easy. I mean, does anybody know the One round of Jose Cuervo by Tracy Bird. (laughs) I lost count and started counting again. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) good. That song. Yeah. So, you know, you sit down, you have 11 Mm -hmm. million shots. However many. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So around 10 p.m., Brian spoke to Alexis on the phone. So she's in Toledo visiting her family right before they go to spring break. Alexis remembers that he sounded completely normal. She said he didn't seem down or concerned or anything. And then at the end of the call, Brian told her that he loved her. So tell us what happens after this. Yeah. Okay. So Brian and Clint end up meeting up with one of Clint's friends, Meredith Reed. So they're bar hopping. At this point, so they start out at the Ugly Tuna. You know how it is when you go out. It's not hopping, right? And also, it's just mm-hmm. 9 o'clock. Like, to me, that's like past bedtime now. But at that time, it's like we're not even hitting the bar yet. <laughs> so at 9 o'clock, there's not enough going on. So they start bar hopping. They do more shots. Meredith offers them a ride back to the Ugly Tuna. So all three of them go back to Ugly Tuna, and they're seen on CCTV footage outside the bar. In the footage from one fifteen a.m. on April 1st, Brian can be seen leaning against the rail of the escalator outside the Ugly Tuna, And he's riding up to the second floor bar. So what was happening during this time is they're kind of redoing this area because it was kind of a bad area. They're trying to make it nicer. So there's all of these things, like there's some construction going on and stuff like that. But this bar, you've got to ride an escalator to get up to it. And there is a camera at that entrance slash exit. There's another back entrance slash exit for band members or staff but there is supposed to be a camera there too. There's also some cameras inside the bar. But anyway, we see him coming in and Clint said, Brian was doing his usual thing and he was talking to those two girls. So the two girls that he's talking about are friends of Clint's and they're seen talking to Brian on another appearance on the CCTV footage. And this is about 1:55 AM in the footage. It looks like Brian says goodbye to the girls and he walks away. Now, According to some information that I've seen, he puts his number in one of these girls' phones and is talking Mm -hmm. about meeting up with them later. And I've heard, too, that he kissed her on the cheek. There's definitely flirtation. Some flirtation, yes. And had his girlfriend seen it, she wouldn't have been too happy about it. Not even a little bit. For sure. And it's crazy because he's, like, getting ready to go out of town with her. Right. But you're supposedly, mm-hmm. but you're drinking this much. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, like inhibitions out the window, shit happens. Yeah, yep. I mean, I would think that since she never saw him again, like that would really fucking suck to hear all over, you know, the news and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, he gave some girl his number and was supposed to meet up with her later, maybe go home with her, like mm-hmm. maybe kiss her on the cheek. I mean, that sucks. Clint said that he and Meredith saw Brian again at the bar. It was about 2 a.m. at this point and the bar is, it's closing time. Uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Get out of here. Exactly. So they told him that they were planning to leave. And there's two different things that he supposedly, and we're just saying that to piss Sloan off. We know that's not how you say it. <laughs> that he supposedly told Clint and Meredith. One was that he had to go pee. So he was going to go back in and pee. The other was that he wanted to go talk to the band. There was a cover band there that night. Brian was very into playing guitar. He wanted to go say something to them. Either way... He goes back in. Clinton Meredith do not go back in because it's closing time. They wait for him a while, but he never comes back out. And they're like, I mean, how many times are like a lot of people give Clinton Meredith shit for leaving him there? I've I have had so many situations. I used to go visit Andrew in Knoxville where I would be like out with the girls or whatever. And, you know, we'd all be hanging out or whatever. I'd go pee or something. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, I'm going to go back to the apartment now. And I would just yeah, fucking go do it. Irish goodbye. Yeah. Just like, yeah, see ya. And they're just like, well, she must have gone home. Like, I've done that at my own party at my own house. I'm like, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go upstairs for a second and go get a sweater. And then you never see my exactly. ass ever again. Passed the fuck out. It's like, when yes. you just hit that point, you're just like, done. done. I'm done. I'm just going to walk home. I'm going to go like, whatever. I'm done. And it wasn't outside of the realm of possibility for him. Like some people, you could say, oh, I have eyes on them the whole time. It's very weird that I never saw them again. Or some people, like we just talked about, it's like, well, you know, sometimes he splits off. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he he goes and does his own thing. And he only lived like a mile from the bar. And they were just like, yeah, just a couple blocks. He walked out that night, did he not? I mean, he didn't drive. Mm -hmm. So, no, his car's parked at his place exactly so he obviously got there just fine without it and in some places mm-hmm. like i know in knoxville they had a bus system called the t so like if we were in like if i was at some of the like my girlfriend's apartments we'd take the t to the downtown like to the strip and then if we left down to 10 roof uh-huh <laughs> and then if we left early enough we could take the tea back or we could walk but the tea bag <laughs> tea bag and i know bitch. we tea bagged the shit out of them didn't we <laughs> but you know so there there might have been something like that that you know he could have relied on or whatever either way they were like he's 27 years old he can leave if he wants right. to like we just assumed that he was just like alright I bounced done yeah I mean here's another thing that I hopefully am going to get Sloan with I watch a lot of Real Housewives and there's one Real Housewife that can't seem to say the word appropriate correctly but was it appropriate to be flirting with these girls no is it appropriate Oh, see, I can even do it. Is it appropriate to leave the, like, you're hanging out with your friends, leave without saying anything to anybody? Not exactly, but people yeah. do it. It happens all the time. I mean, yeah. And when you're drinking that much, there's a lot of stuff that just you probably wouldn't do when you were sober. Like... Probably when you're sober, you'd be like, hey, guys, gonna head out. So good seeing you tonight. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm really tired. I I I need need to get get home. home. But when you're super hammered, you're just like, fuck it, I'm leaving now. Like, whatever. I have literally tried to lay down in a fucking gutter and go to sleep walking home. (laughs) After it took you two and a half hours to put your shoes (laughs) on. That was a different night, but but yeah. Yeah. Thank God for that hot dog stand, man. I know. (laughs) But we've, we've all, all been, been there. there. <laughs> like there was a night that Andrew and I were walking home from bars and I was shit-faced, drunk. And for whatever reason, I mean I was just like I was so tired and I was like I can't do it anymore, dude. I mm-hmm. can't do it anymore. And he's like, "Oh my god, we're like two blocks away." I'm like, nope this is where this is where it ends for me." And I laid down like, on the somebody ground. Somebody pulled your power <laughs> yes. cord. Yes. And he was like, "Bitch, get <laughs> up." Like, what are you doing? Like, uh, I mean, I it just it. it happens. So, well, and for me, if I'm like if I have been out and then somebody is driving my ass home, the ride from wherever we were to where we're going, that's when my shit-canned ass is like, this is it for me. I'm living now yeah, in the exactly. car. I've left you in the car. Yeah. I know like, Well, she's just going <laughs> to sleep here tonight. I don't know. And that's exactly. fine with me. I'll come in when exactly. I'm ready. Like, yeah, this is it for me. So, obviously, they leave because they're like, well, you know, I don't know where he went. I mean, they did try to call him. He didn't answer. And everybody, I mean, the, they were closing the bar down. They're telling everybody, you can't go back in now. It's closed. So yeah, I think it'd be a, a much more alarming thing for them if he had done this at 10 o'clock that night. Right, yeah. I'm just going to run back in. But now it's closing time. Shit gets hectic at closing time sometimes where you're just like, you get separated. Mm-hmm. You got to find each other later. It's like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. They keep calling him. Alexis called him on Saturday too. He didn't answer. He never called back. By Sunday she's freaking the fuck out and they're leaving town the next day. Their flights on Monday. Mhm. And she's like, "Hello? Like how are we going to go on this trip?" So by now, his dad is trying to call him to, they're not getting any answer. Sunday night, Alexis goes to Brian's apartment hoping that she'll find him there. Maybe he's just not answering. Maybe he's pissed off or something, you know. He was not there, and she would go every day for the next several weeks and she said she would just lay there in the middle of his bed and sob, which is so sad. But obviously, Mm -hmm. he wasn't there any of the times. But the thing is, all of his shit was there. Mm -hmm. This is, again, everything that belonged to him. His guitar was there, which was like one of his prized possessions. His apartment was completely, like, untouched. It was like he was planning to return a couple hours later. Yeah. I mean, he left with what he had on him, the clothes on his back. That's it. Exactly. So... The day that they're supposed to leave on their flight, Monday, April 3rd, comes and goes. He's not there. He's not answering calls. So he's reported missing at this point. A search started at the city level to find Brian or any clues about his whereabouts. Like we said, his car was in the parking lot of his apartment complex. They checked dumpsters and sewers. The ugly tuna was searched top to bottom in every single corner. I mean, they tore that place apart. They did not find him. Officers checked hospitals and homeless shelters. They checked landfills and riverbanks and even had their 50-plus officers working in concentric circles, which is how you apply the marshmallows for the exam. Exactly, yams. you want them in concentric circles. No, you want them in concentric circles. <laughs> and they started the Ugly Tuna and went out, knocking on doors. Both of the exits at the bar were covered by surveillance cameras, just like the escalator. The only way out of this place where you wouldn't be caught on camera would be through a part of the building that was still under construction. I have heard differing reports about how, quote, under construction this was. I've heard that it was heavily under construction, which is what Sergeant John Hurst said. And he said it would be difficult to maneuver sober. I've also heard that it was pretty much almost finished and that they just had plywood covering the walkway so that you didn't fuck it up. You would think that if it was so heavily under construction that it would be difficult to maneuver sober and this is outside of a bar that they would just close that exit exactly off. that it would that you wouldn't be able to get out that way, yeah, uh-uh, so I don't know. Everyone in Brian's life agreed to be polygraphed except for Clint, who was advised by his lawyer not to participate, and Clint's attorney said that's he doesn't have anything to hide, but he's given the police all the information that he has. I don't love that. I don't know. It's such a 50-50 for me, you know? Like, I would say to somebody now in that situation, if you came to me and was like, holy shit, I went out with one of my friends last night and now she's fucking missing and the police want to give me a polygraph, Polygraph, I would say don't take it. Yeah. It can only hurt. It cannot help. I get it, but, I mean, it doesn't look great. Right. It doesn't look great. Right. Well, and it reminds me, and I don't know if this is even fair to make the connection, but that one unsolved mysteries where the guy gets yeah yeah and you know the further out I get from that I think that he was unfairly painted I do too yeah but I'm just saying like you know when you Mm -hmm. hear those things it's easy to be like well hang your initial thought is red flag right what are you trying to hide exactly now Brian's family for whatever reason Randy his dad and Derek his brother were very outspoken from the get-go that they felt like Clint murdered him or that Ooh. Clint had something to do with it. So I wonder if that's the reason he got the lawyer mm-hmm. because he was like, I'm afraid I'm going to get accused of this and I had nothing to do with it. And his lawyer was like, do not take that fucking polygraph because his family was pretty pretty out there about that mm-hmm. for no reason. They also, his dad apparently referred to the two girls that Brian was seen talking to as whores. Oh my and he was just like, no, he wouldn't He wouldn't talk to other girls. He had a girlfriend. He wouldn't drink that much. Okay. I mean, I understand. Those are, you know... But that's the thing about going missing or being murdered is like everybody has their shit and it's going to come out in an investigation. Right. You know? And it kind of has to. I mean, that's because we need all the information that we can. Exactly. To try to paint the whole picture. However, I do think that, I mean, his dad is going to want to see him in the best light possible. I don't think that drinking and going out and having fun, I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -mm. There's no reason for any judgment there. Right. But for him to just completely negate it is Mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous because that's facts. (laughs) Right, yeah. His dad seemed to not accept the fact that Brian was very drunk that night and he was very drunk. If you look at that CCTV footage, he's kind of swaying. He's drunk. Mm -hmm. And everybody around him said he was hammered as fuck. Well, yeah, if you have... As many shots as he's taken in that first ugly tuna saluna, mm-hmm. you're going to be pretty lit. Exactly. And then he went at that was just the beginning of the night. exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's common in a college town. You're going out, you're drinking. I mean, it's, it's Friday just, night. Like, who cares? Exactly. That's how it goes. Like, you know, and I get that's, you know, that's hard. You want, you want your kid to be seen in the most positive light, especially on the news and stuff. It does not make him a bad person to go out drinking, and it, it doesn't make him a bad person to flirt with another girl when he has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Is it ideal? No. Does it happen? Yes. Mm-hmm. That is why I don't need the details of every time my husband ever went out when he was in Knoxville when we were dating. I don't need to know that shit. Did exactly. I let guys buy me drinks? Absolutely. But you know what? That's just free drinks. Well, of course it is. I'm like, yeah, never going to talk to you again. Thank you so much for that. Bye-bye. Like, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, people just think, and they get... More flirtatious when they're drinking. like Absolutely. That's just human nature. Exactly. It happens. I mean, is it ideal? Is it the best look? No. Is it human? Absolutely. Those two girls that he was seen talking to, though, they were friends of Clint, so they were able to identify them. They were questioned. They were cleared. Now, here's another thing. The police in the media after said that every single person was, you know, that worked at the bar, the band that night were questioned thoroughly. And it was a few years later that people finally figured out what band was playing that night. And if you want like a super deep dive on this case, like multiple parts on it, listen to True Crime Garage because the captain and Nick live in that area. The captain played gigs in this area. He ended up knowing the band that played that night. And he talked to them and he said, did the police question you? And he was like, yeah, they questioned us, but very minimally. They didn't really ask us a whole lot of stuff. They felt like, they would not have considered their questioning thorough by any means. Mm -hmm. He did ask them too, did Brian come up and talk to you? And the guy says he does not remember talking to him, but he said that that back entrance where like the band leaves, he said that there was like 20 something people that they knew that came to watch them that night, and they all left together through that entrance. And he said there was like 25, 30 people out there when they were loading up at the end of the night he could have very well been in that crowd and this guy didn't notice, Mm -hmm. you know? So they cleared these two girls. I don't know how thoroughly they questioned them. I don't think they had anything to do with it, but could they have seen something if they had thoroughly questioned them more that could have been important? You know, same thing with the band. Could they have seen something that they might not have thought was important, you know? Right. You just never know. And his apartment ended up getting broken into after he disappeared, which was a weird coincidence, but that's just so weird. It is. Okay, so what happens when Alexis continues to call his cell phone? Right. So she called him every night, and without fail, every night it went straight to voicemail until one night in September. The phone rings three times and then went to voicemail. So she immediately called again, but there was no answer, and the police were able to ping it to a tower in the town of Hilliard, which is like 14 miles from Columbus, Hopes were spiked and then just as quickly dashed because Brian's service provider Singular. Ooh, that's a throwback. I know. (laughs) Informed them that it was just a computer glitch, which is so upsetting. Mm. It's like, oh my gosh, we got something. Finally, his phone's turned on. And then you imagine she's been calling him and calling him and calling him. It goes straight to voicemail and then it rings. That's like your hopes are on a pedestal like. That's so sad. And during this time, there's no activity on his credit card. There's no phone activity other than Alexis calling him and people calling him, I'm sure. There's no outgoing activity. Exactly. At all. And there's no activity on any of his anything else. Like Mm -mm. his credit cards, his um, bank account, his nothing. Brian Schaefer ceased to exist. Yeah. Do anything after that point. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, it seems like he's just been... He just has completely vanished into thin air. Yeah. They ended up looking into psychics too. Yes. And Randy, who's uh, the dad, he says that he went to a psychic and they said that Brian's body would be found by a bridge in water held down by whirlpools. And so Randy like took it and jumped on it. He began waiting in the Olentangy River and they had a search party, spent hours in that river and they didn't find anything. I mean, that's... That's so sad. See, I feel like that's, I mean, I don't know. Does the psychic believe in their psychic abilities or are they exploiting a very sad, tragic situation? hmm Exactly. And we don't know. And I mean, because of that tip, he would just go into bodies of water yeah. and look for his son yeah. that had bridges. I mean... He thought, you know, understandably so. Maybe they, maybe they had the wrong river, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's also not uncommon for college age kids to be drunk and fall into bodies of water and drown. You we used to work with a girl that mm-hmm. exactly that happened. Exactly that. Yeah. Happened. It was on a houseboat, but still. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, these kids walk in, you know, from campus bars to whatever. There's a river nearby and they fall Mm -hmm. right in. I mean, it's yeah, horrific. It's so sad. Yeah, you're not the most stable in that state, so it can happen. And when you've been drinking, especially at night when it's very difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, during the daytime, you're going to see the light at the top of the water, you know, that's going to help orient you. You are not oriented and many people will... continuing down yeah, instead of up. Swimming mm-hmm. down further because they just, they don't know which way is up. It's, yeah. it's very sad. It's very, very dangerous. Yes, it is. Have we done a lot of dangerous shit? Yes. It's just now that we're old, we can look back on it and be like, the fuck were we thinking? Yeah, thank God we dodged all of that stuff and made it out somehow on the other side. Exactly. His favorite band was Pearl Jam and he had a Pearl Jam tattoo on his right bicep. And Pearl Jam ended up hearing about his disappearance. And when they played in Cincinnati, Eddie Vedder, who Sloan said the lead singer, Torella, I did not know that, (laughs) would take the opportunity in between songs to talk to the audience and ask them to report any information they had. I love it when like celebrities and bands do that. Mm -hmm. So his dad, Randy, was still dealing with the death of his wife of almost 29 years when his oldest son disappeared. When Renee died, Randy said that he couldn't bring himself to touch her things. He said that the same was true after Brian disappeared. And I can't imagine. I can't understand because, I mean, we've never experienced anything like this. Thank God. But, you know, it's hard to sometimes maybe think about putting yourself in their shoes. But I know that Miss KB has recently lost a dog. And when I went over there, he was like, you have to take all of her stuff. I can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine at all. And that, I mean, he just felt like, obviously, he says, you know, the same thing. The hardest part is not knowing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's never easy to lose somebody you love, but literally have no idea what happened to them. No. I can't imagine that torture. No, because I think that, I mean, I don't think that you ever get over it, but you can... There's the finality of it. Mm -hmm. You can close that chapter and be like, yes, it's going to take maybe the whole rest of my life to get to a place where I feel like I'm good with it or have accepted it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, if you never get that chance. Exactly. How can you, yeah, it's a gaping hole. Yes. oh, So awful. I just cannot imagine. So they watched that surveillance video over and over and over and over. And the detective on the case said that he watched it so repetitively, repetitively and said that he can say with 100% certainty that Brian Schaefer did not go back down that escalator. He feels that he was able to account for every single other person. So he either is still in the ugly tuna in the walls somewhere or something, right. or he had to have left from that back he entrance. He left a different way, so... That's what I'm saying. If we know from the band that they had a shit ton of people there, you know, that they knew to watch them that left through the back entrance with them. Mm -hmm. Detective Andre Edwards, you cannot tell me you saw them go down that escalator because they didn't. No. So how many people did you account for? Initially, the police did not. Acknowledge that there was surveillance video of the back entrance, and then later they did. So I don't know if he's saying I accounted for everybody front and back, but he says down the escalator. Right. I don't know. Over the years, tips have come in and have been looked into, but just turned out to be dead ends. One time, a woman in Michigan was at a local drive through and was waited on by a man that looked a lot like Brian, and his name tag even said Brian S. Oh, my God. I mean, so the woman called the police, and good, you should. Like, you should. Uh, They went to the restaurant and the owners claimed that no one worked there named Brian. It wasn't Brian Schaefer after all. And once again, everyone was back to square one. I think that if he had disappeared, he wouldn't use the same name. I would think not. But if he disappeared himself, I mean. Yeah. Then on September 14th, 2008, Randy was in his backyard during a crazy windstorm, possibly picking things up when a limb was whipped off a tree and right at Randy. The impact killed him. And he was found in the yard by a neighbor the next morning. God. Is that not insane? It is. That is like the definition of freak accident. I know. Final destination, man. That's what I was going to say. Yes. so crazy. Like death was out to get him. Yes. So there was an online guest book for the funeral because people were like, look, if Brian's still alive and his dad's funeral happens, we think he'd show up. He'd do something, you know? Mm -hmm. There was an online guest book and someone left a post. I miss you, dad, love, Brian, or to dad, love, Brian. And then in parentheses, it says U.S. Virgin Islands. There's been two versions of it reported. The post was investigated, but it turned out to be a very cruel joke and was posted from a public computer in Franklin County, Ohio. Why are people so awful? That shit makes me so angry. Like, to call it a joke is not even fair. That's not funny. No, it's not funny. Like, what kind of person are you to be like? Oh, this guy died. I remember his son went missing a long time ago. Let me pretend to be his son and leave a comment and make people think he's still like. What? What the fuck? Yeah. How can you possess anything inside of you to make you think that that's okay? It's like completely. I feel like they're sociopaths. They cannot put themselves in somebody else's position or understand the empathy that would you would need to be like. That's not an okay thing. You know what I mean? Like, because all that's going to do. I mean, look at all these the man hours and the hope and everything that's wasted on something just so you can get a laugh, right? And like, what kind of person are you if that's what's going to make you laugh? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it is. So obviously that didn't go anywhere. It was a hoax. There was a tip that came in that showed a picture of a homeless man in Tijuana. The FBI investigated that. They found out that it was not Brian Schaefer. The guy does look like him, but it's it was found to not be him. I'm sure he's like, can I just, can you just leave me alone? Yeah, like, just leave me alone. Yeah. Derek is the only Schaefer left at this point. He does not talk to the media. He's trying to move, or he was at that time trying to move on and get married to his girlfriend. Alexis Wagner went on to graduate and get engaged and Clint ended up moving to Tennessee. So I don't know. Maybe we know him. Yeah. We don't know him, but maybe we've seen him. Well, I only know one Clint. Well, that's not true. I know two Clint's. One is the country singer, Clint Black. Mm. And the other one is a childhood friend that I'm pretty sure is not the same Clint. So yeah. Unless he's living a double life. Could be. We don't know. You don't know everything about him. No, that's true. I think I'm going to need to do some investigating. Okay. Clint, we're out for (laughs) you. And so the next thing that we'll talk about are theories. And as you can see, we've talked too much. So we're going to have to make that a part two. Yeah. Sometimes this just happens. Like this is the, a part of the journey that we could not have never seen coming. I think that we knew deep in our hearts if we were really being honest with ourselves. But here we are. Mm-hmm. So surprise, this is going to be a two-parter. Yep. If you are a patron at any level, you have part two waiting on you right now, ad free. It is just sitting waiting there. in the wings. Yep. If you are not a patron, ain't no thing. Check it out next week. Yeah, no big deal. Everything's fine. Yeah, but we'll go through some theories. We'll go through some other information that isn't as widely reported. So definitely check it out. Yes. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay guys, before we leave you for the week, we want to do some shout outs for some of our newer patrons. Hey girl, thanks to Sydney Beatty, Katherine B Corwin, Sarah Jackson, Caitlin, Brittany Busick, Ellie McQuiston, Allison Thomas, Kristen Wilson, Amelia, Emily Young, Katherine Wilder, Ireland Christensen, Chloe Kogavin, Amber Lynn Ditto, Michelle Rice, Casey, Megan Collins, Marianne McGraw, Leslie Zimmer, Angel Curran, Kate Simpson, Charlotte Stimp, Jill Stopher, Susan Wilson, Nina King, Ben and Mel Burroughs. Mel, yay, you're so sweet! Yay, yay, yay! Julian Jillian. Ooh, that sounds like a show. I know. Heather Houchens, Sarah Weaver, Virginia Peary. Parker Rashid, Deanne Lehulier. That is so fun to say. I know. Carol Palmer, Bonnie Vanisic, and Alicia Zimmerman. April, thanks. Thank we you love so you guys. much. We love you. You're the best. We could not do this without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.